The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, emerging perspectives on people, process, and profits. Your host is Olivia Parr-Rood. In today's fast-paced, high-tech global economy, the business landscape is constantly evolving. To be successful, companies must continually adapt as well as identify and exploit new opportunities. Now, here is the host of Quantum Business Insights, Olivia Parr-Rood. Hi, Olivia here. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, where each week we explore new perspectives on the changing nature of business with thought leaders from around the world, and with a special emphasis on what I feel is our most valuable asset, our human capital. Today, I'm excited to have back by popular demand, my guest, Ken Beller, and we'll be discussing collaborative leadership. Before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about Ken. He is a thought leader, author, and president of Nearbridge Incorporated, a consulting firm that specializes in building intergenerational harmony. Ken is the lead author of The Consistent Consumer, Predicting Future Behavior Through Lasting Values. Throughout his career, Ken successfully developed and managed multicultural and cross-functional initiatives for leading companies such as General Electric, Daimler-Benz, Applied Materials, and NASA in the areas of global business planning, acquisition integration, process and product development, engineering, operations, human capital development, employee engagement, and organizational performance. So he's done everything. Ken, welcome to Quantum Business Insights. Thank you. It's great to be here. You're welcome. So over the last 20 years, I've noticed a dramatic shift in leadership style, and I've shared this a lot on my program. It seems like the old command and control style, it really just doesn't work anymore. And in our April 25th interview, you shared your research about how different generations have different values that drive their behavior. So I think that that might offer a clue to what's going on. You actually state in your materials, quote, Whereas older generations may have tolerated command control approach to leadership, the younger generations increasingly filling our workspaces will not, requiring instead a collaborative approach. So this is what I'd love to talk about today. What is collaborative leadership and why do you think it's preferred by the younger generation? It's a great question, Olivia, and it's a question a lot of my clients are struggling with right now. Um, as we mentioned in the past uh, presentation on my work in generations, uh, which I call value populations, if you recall, yeah. um, what we find is that uh, what causes different generations to see the world differently is based on shared experiences. Mm-hmm. And as the world has changed, what's happened is these shared experiences have also changed. And that's part of the reason why we see the world differently. Because, you know, if you're 50 or 60, you saw a very different America than somebody that's 20 years old did. Um, I remember when we didn't actually have microwaves or we didn't have Xerox <laughs> machines. You probably remember that too. Too, Olivia. I do, yes. You know, younger generations coming in the workforce today have never not had that. You know, they don't they don't know what it's like not to have Facebook. They don't know what it's like not to collaborate and have all these amazing tools where they can be talking with each other. Matter of fact, you know something I found interesting is I have a bunch of nieces and nephews that are around 16 and 17 years of age, and none of them are driven that much by wanting to find a driver's to get the driver's license. Like, I, I couldn't wait to get my driver's license. You probably couldn't wait to get yours either, I'm going to guess. Yeah, right, because I felt isolated without it. Exactly. But today's kids aren't isolated. They sit next to each other texting each other because <laughs> they're not isolated. And that's a big factor in what's changing. So what's happened is the younger generations, to get back to your question, have lived in a collaborative or what I like to call an interdependent environment their entire lives. Where you and I, or older generations, 
um, we grew up in more of an independent generation, uh, independent time frame where things weren't as collaborative. You know, I remember before Xerox machines, for example, you know, uh, if you wanted to have a copy of a something, you usually had to either rewrite it or you had to put a piece of carbon paper under it, remember? And <laughs> yes. you'd write and then trans- each of you would have one copy of it. And so that was very independent. You owned it or I owned it. Um, mm. And today's uh, younger generations just don't see it that way. So what happened is we created this more hierarchical approach to the way we do business. It's what I call a patriot model. And it's one that's kind of a parent-child relationship. And if you look into our uh, uh, hierarchical structures, you know, even our org charts, we have this parent-child relationship. Matter of fact, the software we use to draw them calls it parent-child. And today's younger kids don't see it that way. They see that we all have different skill sets. Um, we have different dimensions that we can all bring to the party, and uh, they're willing to work with that. They want to see what can you bring and what can I bring, and, and how can we maximize these differences in our diversity dimensions to make what we do even better than it would have been just listening to what you or I would have said. Well, and that probably also is a factor. It's, it's based on the fact that there's so many more skills that everyone can't know how to do everything. So they almost have to work together. That's true. Things are getting more complex than they ever were before. So, uh, you know, in the past, it, it was pretty easy. We all kind of knew how to use our pen and pencil. Right. But, but when your computer breaks, when your pencil broke, you knew how to get a new pen. Pencil. When your computer breaks, you probably don't know how to fix your computer as easily. Good point. It's yeah. just like our cars. You know, when I was a kid, we fixed cars ourselves. Today, <laughs> I even did a fix little bit. Car of that. by yourself? <laughs> no, right. Even mechanics have had to relearn everything to get to use the computerized automobiles. It's really Absolutely. interesting. They're highly technically skilled these days. There's not just you know the old monkey wrench kind of guy. You know, <laughs> they're highly skilled te- technicians these days. So do kids, or I guess I shouldn't say kids, although some of them are still kids, but do these uh, members of the younger generation, do they kind of just come in with their skills and easily mesh into some bigger organization? Um, Well, that's a struggle for organizations because, again, what we have to remember, Livia, is that all of us are prejudiced. Every single one of us has a prejudice. Because it's the way we see the world. It's our lens. It's our perspective on the world. Mm-hmm. And I don't use that term negatively. It's just a fact of life. Right. You know, I see the world through, through the, where I grew up. If you grew up in, in the South, you're going to see a different world than somebody that grew up, say, in Seattle, uh, Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you grew up uh, uh, black versus someone that was white, mm-hmm. you grew up high economically, you know, uh, in a high economic situation versus a low economic situation, you're going to see the world differently. And it doesn't mean that one way is better or worse than the other, but it is different. And it's important for us to understand that these are different perspectives. And now that this younger generation is coming in with different perspectives and different value sets, um, and values are something that I define as something that allowed you to adapt and survive in the environment you grew up in. Mm. So it's not something you choose. They kind of chose you. They're an adaptive um, uh, uh, tool that we use. And when, when a younger generation comes in with a different set of adaptive tools, they don't try to solve the problem and work in the same way as somebody else would with different tools. You know, if, if you grew up eating with a knife and a fork, you would eat your meal differently than someone that grew up with chopsticks in their hands. You'd what? prepare your food differently. That's true. And it's that type of a thing that we're seeing in the work environment is that the younger generation just sees the world very differently. And it's a struggle for the older generations to be able to change and adapt to that because, you know, like you, Livy, you and me, we've been in the business world 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. And what happens is that's a long time kind of doing things very similar. And when all of a sudden somebody comes in and wants to change our world – it's kind of scary and it's a struggle. And we're like, man, I don't know if I want to work that hard at it. Why can't it just be the way it's always been? Yeah. <laughs> but it's not that way. And that's the struggle. You know, the, on the same t- side, we have to realize and help the younger generations realize that the systems that are in place now have been there for a long time. And while they may not be perfect, they've 
kind of stood the test of time. And you shouldn't just throw out the baby with the bathwater. There's a lot of good things in those systems that we need to hold on to and still continue to work with. So what I say we have to do is we have to modify a little bit and, mm-hmm. and don't expect just to switch overnight. Um, but we can certainly start adjusting ourselves. And I think both the older and the younger generations have to appreciate and honor and respect the different gifts that each of the other generations can bring to the party. Does that make Uh, sense? Yeah, it does. And it actually leads to my next question, which I think relates to this. So you say on your website, quote, real leadership does not come from a skill set we learned or a position we have, but from a mindset that we hold. And it starts from a place where the status quo is not judged, but questioned for its usefulness on the path moving forward. And I find this intriguing, sort of an approach that rather than think we already have the answer, like you were saying, these two generations coming together, um, it encourages us to ask more questions. Can you elaborate on this? Yeah. You know, what I find in, in, I do a lot of training and development. I create a lot of workshops for a lot of my clients. And, um, one of the things, when they always come to me saying, we want to create a workshop, and what I find is that a lot of consultants out there, like myself, we're really good at creating things like skill sets, you know, helping to create a skill set or, or a tool set. You can use this and put it in place. Mm-hmm. But what we fail to really recognize is the mindset. Uh-huh. Until you shift someone's mindset, their perspectives, and help them understand where they are and where they want to be and help them understand that that's something you want to do, not that you have to do. Mm. All the skill sets and all the tool sets in the world don't help. Matter of fact, they harm the situation because you bring this whole new new uh, project in place or this new initiative and you start pushing tools and skills in place and you put them all in place. But the organization's mindset is not there. Mm-hmm. And because of that, what happens is often the initiative falls flat on its face because it doesn't have the emotional drive behind it. It doesn't have what I call psychic income behind it. Oh, so how do you get that (laughs) behind it? I'd love to know. That's the million-dollar question, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. Psychic income is really important stuff. And so let me tell you what I define psychic income as. It's the non-monetary reward we get for doing anything, including our job. So it's what I call income for our psyche. Oh. A great example of that is a teacher. You know, it's kind of hard to think that the teachers are working for the big money that we pay them out there, you know? <laughs> yeah. So you say they're getting paid so poorly, why would they want to keep doing this work? Because the psychic income they get when they see a young child just light up with something they've just learned or come back 20 years later and say, hey, you know, Miss Olivia, 20 years ago you taught me this lesson and it's done nothing but made my life change dramatically forever and that just makes you feel so good and it's that it's that's the real reason most of us really want to go to work every day sure we have to go and we have to make our money we have to uh you know pay our bills but in the end work needs to be more than that otherwise it's a four-letter word and we really want to be a three-letter word we want work to be fun you know not not a negative experience and we do that by creating psychic income and I think there's even been a lot of research that says that once someone's financial needs are met, then the reason they go to work is not for more money usually. It's for all that, the other kind of good feelings, I guess, the psychic income that you talk about. That's, exactly, exactly. So if, have you ever worked with a group where they just don't get it? Or I mean, do people sometimes get uncomfortable and leave or, or require coaching? I'm just really curious. No, none of my clients ever don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're done. <laughs> yeah. There <laughs> you go. <laughs> um, we all struggle with Olivia because we all struggle with change. You know, change is, it's the simplest thing in the world, but it's not easy. And a lot of that's because we're pre-programmed. We've got our neural pathways physically programmed in our brain that are driving us to look at the world and see it from a certain perspective and change anytime is hard. What I like to coach my clients in, and I do a lot of individual coaching like executive coaching and a lot in executive sessions, is that anytime you're feeling stressed and the change is really getting to you, then you're probably stepping on some values or your values are being stepped on, but you're also probably growing at that point. Mm 
Because if everything is easy all the time, you're not growing. So you want to feel a little bit of stress, and it's that stress that makes us improve ourselves. So it's a good thing to have, and um, you should look for it a little bit. The key there is don't overstress it. Don't try to do everything at one time. Great. And you did say something about neural pathways. Are, so are we actually remapping our neurons over time when we work with these uh, going to this edge and feeling a little bit of stress? Does that yeah. change our brains? We actually are. And, you know, about 20 years ago, we didn't think that we could change our brains, that it was kind of set the way it was and that was it. Mm-hmm. That's not the case anymore. We've proven it very clearly that you can actually rechange the neural pathways that you do it. And, um, you know, one way that I counsel a lot of my clients on to do that is actually through meditation. Ooh. It's a powerful concept that I personally use, and it's done amazing things for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's nothing about being religious or anything. It's really about focusing and learning to concentrate more and being mindful of the present moment. And Mm -hmm. when we do that, what happens is we stop this monkey that's running around in our head with these thoughts chasing and chasing everything, and we start allowing our brain to be used for the way we want it, not it to use us for what it wants it to use. And what happens is we cut off the flow to the old neurons and we start creating new ones. And it's a powerful concept for changing your life, both in business and personally. Well, that's fascinating because I had a guest a couple weeks ago. We talked about um, Buddhism and modern capitalism. And he talked a little bit about mindfulness meditation and how it can actually help people to get into a more feeling of empathy for others, which would certainly improve collaboration, right? Absolutely. Um, And maybe even empathy for ourselves when we're stressed and trying not to judge that we're failures or whatever, but we're just growing. So I love that. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's powerful stuff. And I think your point was valid. It's about for ourselves too, you know, mm-hmm. learning to love ourselves and accept ourselves for what we are. We have great gifts and we should appreciate that. We certainly would give that to somebody else. Why won't we give it to ourselves? Yeah, and the fact that we're just engaging and trying is so important. Well, believe it or not, we're up on another our first break. So I just want to reintroduce my guest. I have Ken Beller here again on the show. We're talking about collaborative leadership you can learn more about ken's work at his website nearbridge.com and we'll be right back up-to-date business and financial news call now and get the financial information you need 866-472-5790 866-472-5790 The experts are here Voice America Business Network Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Now there's a new destination for video content, VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia here, and I'm back with my guest, Ken Beller, and we're talking about collaborative leadership. And before the break, we got into a bit of a discussion about uh, value populations and how the younger generation 
is less tolerant of a command and control style of leadership? And what are the things that we can do to actually allow ourselves to be more collaborative? And uh, one of the last comments I really liked was becoming a meditator, being more mindful of what we're doing. And um, so I'd like to start on a little different topic, which you talk about when you're working in a collaborative situation, you, quote, are better off, quote, by holding points of view gently. What do you mean by that? That's a great concept. And um, it's one that was a little hard for me to come by. And I think it's hard for a lot of people that are in business trying to drive, drive through and, and really uh, you know, make something happen a little bit there. Um, what, what really holding your point of views gently, it's kind of – I look at this as an analogy of let's think of holding a baby duckling, say, in your hands, okay? Mm-hmm. If we hold them too loosely, they kind of slip through our hands and we drop them and they, they fall on the ground. At the same time, if we hold them too tightly, we suffocate or crush them. Mm. So we have to hold them firmly enough, but not so firmly that we hurt them. And, you know, it's kind of like with our children. Um, A lot like being a parent, you know, you have to give your children a balance of enough structure to be safe, yet enough freedom to grow. Mm. And, And we need to do the same thing with our points of view, that if we hold our points of view gently, what happens is we make our ideas our identity, and then what happens is we have to actually, to, to kill the idea, we in essence have to kill our, I mean, we have to kill our identity. Mm. So it's almost like the ego kicks in there. And, and, you know, if you've ever taken a real strong stance on something, after a while, it's no longer about what the position you were taking. It was just about winning or losing the conversation or the, or the debate. Does that make sense? Yeah, like that fear. It's almost like the death of the ego. We hold on tightly because of the fear of losing. The argument. <laughs> and, yeah. and you know what? It's is, honestly killing our ego is really is like killing ourselves physically. So when we hold our egos or our ideas too strongly and make them part of who we are, they make them our identity, it gets really hard to change. And what happens is if everybody comes into a conversation or a dialogue with their ideas held too tightly, they're not listening to anyone else's ideas and collaboration can't happen. Because you hold your idea too strongly, I hold mine. And so what happens is the old saying is, okay, we'll compromise. Let's do it my way. <laughs> <laughs> so so give, can you share maybe have you had a, uh, a group where this was going on and, and what do you tell them and how do you get them to loosen up on how they're holding their ideas? Yeah, well, you know, the first thing is often, you, you know, the old – a deal in debate where you have an issue and you randomly pull pull a side out of a hat and whichever side you get, you have to de- debate that side. And uh-huh. you may not believe in it. In other words, you may be a strong liberal and you have to debate the conservative side of an issue. Right. It's a good thing to help you hold different perspectives. And often the first place is to, to do this is you have to explain and help the people you're working with understand this concept of holding points of view gently. Mm-hmm. It's like anything. If we don't understand it, Olivia, mm-hmm. we can't ever use the tool. So the important part is to have these tools understood clearly and, and not only understand the tool set and the skill set, but I'm going to move you back to that original question, that mindset piece. You have to have the mindset that says, not only do I understand I don't want to hold my ideas too strongly, I want to hold my points of view gently, but I understand why I want to, and I think it's a good idea. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's really taking the unconscious and making it conscious. That's exactly right. And what happens is the moment you bring it back up in someone's view, how, how, how tightly are you holding your view right now? Oh, boom, I'm now conscious with it. I'm mindful of it. Back to that meditation example. I'm mindful of it. Okay, I can loosen it a little bit more. Well, what happens, we get into this overdrive. It's kind of like, have you ever gone in, you know, left your house to go uh, and you're going to, you drive in to work every single day. Well, today you're going to go on Saturday to go, I don't know, to play golf. But you're in your own zone and pretty soon before you know it, you're pulling into your spot in work. <laughs> and you're like, why did I come to work? It's Saturday. I don't need to do this. That's because right. you're on autopilot with your thoughts. Does that make sense? And you do it over and over every day. Mm-hmm. So what happens is we have to break those bonds and we do it with mindfulness. And that's what we can do with each other is help each other kindly 
to be more mindful of when, you know, if you hold your point of view very strongly a lot, then you're going to need help people helping you recognize when you do that. It's when you recognize it that you can say, okay, I'll gentle, I'll loosen up a little bit. I'll let that, that small little baby bird breathe a little bit more and things can change. But if somebody's not there to help you, it's kind of like, you know, we help each other. It's like lifting weights. You have a spotting partner. You almost need a, uh, a collaboration partner to help you do these things a little bit and keep you mindful of when you're going into your old habits that you don't even realize you have. Yeah, I had a recent experience where I was with my sister and I found myself holding on to a position and I was really surprised because I thought I had worked on this a lot and I was able to hold my ideas loosely. But <laughs> It was really interesting when I got back into my family of origin that I held on to something. And and then I started questioning myself and thinking, boy, this is strange. You know, I, I don't need to hold on to this. But there was some something very deep that my ego didn't want to let go of. And I finally apologized to my sister because she was actually right. Uh, but it was really interesting to notice that. Yeah, you know, family dynamics, are that's the toughest spot. There's a saying in Buddhism that says, the moment you think you've reached enlightenment, spend a week with your family. Oh, perfect. (laughs) It'll test you to make sure for sure you've actually reached enlightenment or not because your family can push buttons. They understand every little thing that can push you. And there's old dynamics that have set up there and there's competitions all of that, and you didn't want to lose the battle to your sister. It was, it had nothing, at that point, it was no longer about the point. It was about losing the battle to your sister. And hey, I give you kudos for finally saying, you know what? This is silly. I'm sorry. I was wrong. And, and you went through it. You became mindful of it. You caught yourself. You became mindful and you changed it. And you get a big out of girl for that. That's a tough thing to do. And <laughs> that's what we all have to do. So great job. Oh, thanks. Well, we'll see if I can continue that. But uh, yeah, it was, I was kind of pleased that I could at least catch it and, and rectify it before I left without saying anything. Um, Absolutely. Well, you know, Olivia, too, the other thing I like to help people realize is like with meditation, there is no good or bad meditation. It's the intention and it's just about sitting and, and trying to be mindful. And this is a process. It's not a – you don't ever get there. You never win this. You know, you, you can't – you don't win this any more than you win an earthquake. You know, it doesn't work that way. It's a process. Some days you, you're a little more mindful than other days. And the days that you're not, hopefully you'll recognize that and work on it to change it the next time. And that's why it's helpful to have somebody to help point it out to you in a kind and compassionate way with empathy, saying, wow, I've been there before. I know what it's like for them now. And I'll try to help them to see that without, again, creating a, a, a struggle or animosity towards you. You know, It's just about being careful and helping each other. Does that make sense? It does. That's great. So I'd love to explore something else that you talk about in your your website and your training materials around engaged detachment. And Mm -hmm. so can you tell us what that is and how we can get skilled at that? Yeah. You know, you had a pretty good example of that engaged detachment with your sister there. Um, what, what we do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch it around and I'm going to call it um, detached engagement. Okay. And that's what we normally do. We'll use a real, a, an example of, say, our children, okay? So your, your child comes home and has done just the same silly thing for the 15th time and you're just so frustrated. You know, why can't you learn to just come home and do your homework, for example, you know? Mm-hmm. And you're just frustrated with them. So what happens is we detach from the relationship and we engage in the fight. Mm. And that's kind of what you did with your sister. I don't know what it was about. But you detached from the relationship and just meeting uh, you know, with her. And you engaged in, I'm going to win this. I'm not going to, I don't want to lose to my sister. Mm. And what we need to learn to do is to switch that. We need to do what we call engaged detachment. We need to engage in the relationship and detach ourselves from the end result. So, when your child, for example, has just got you with your hair about to be pulled out, take, you know, settle, count to 10, re-engage with your child, re-engage, understand why they're doing this, have a conversation with them, and detach from the end result, realizing that you can help lead your child down the path, but in the end, you can't completely change every action that they take. 
you can only play your part. And that's where we detach. We detach from the end result. We detach from the fruits of our labor and just focus on the labor. And it comes out the way it's supposed to come out. It's about not trying to control everything. So this plays right into the way business works now is that um, because it's very hard to control outcomes all the time. Absolutely. Uh, do you, so you advocate this in your collaborative leadership training, I'm imagining. Um, do people have trouble with this when they're, they're first trying it in business? Or? You, you, people have trouble with this all the time. Again, the key here, it's not – the skill set is – the tool set are easy. It's the mindset that has to be there. Mm. Um, it's kind of like quitting smoking or, or drinking or a bad habit. You know, it's really – once you really, really decide you're going to do it and the mindset's there, it's not so hard to do it at that point. But when you're playing with it still, that's when it becomes difficult. And um, engaged detachment, like a lot of these tools that I use in my collaborative workshops – are like that. And that's why I always focus on the mindset piece. Um, and so once the mindset's there, it's not that difficult. That being said, it's one of those sayings that this is all very easy, but it's not always that simple, or it's simple but not easy. Does that make sense? Right. Yes. Oh, the con- yeah, I get it. <laughs> you get the concept, but actually taking the action is where it's difficult. Exactly. And you know what helps is if you take a lot of what I teach in my collaborative workshops is stuff that you don't only use in business but that you use in your personal life. Mm -hmm. Because I believe when somebody can employ something, a tool that's going to work for them in their everyday personal lives, they're going to automatically want to use it in their business environments. The two do not need to be exclusive of each other. And you know, in the past, 20, 30 years ago, there was this motion, this movement of keep your work life and your business life separate. You know, with texting and email and everything today, that's pretty much impossible to do. So what we have to do is we have to – sure, we have rules, boundaries, and limitations we still set up. But we have to learn how to engage but be detached from the end results. Otherwise, there's just too many things we'd have to keep up with and we would literally go insane. Well, yeah, and it's interesting you mention that because I would think if a manager who was very controlling was invited to to be more collaborative and develop those skills that they actually might – make a better husband or father? (laughs) Um, Have you had experiences where that's happened in your work? It happens all the time, and it's the most rewarding part of my job. (sighs) I I can't tell you how many times. It happens pretty much every time I give a presentation or workshop. At least one person, and often many, will come up to me and say, thank you for teaching me this. This is going to change my life. You know, I wish I would have known this 10 years ago with my daughter or I wish I would have known this, you know, before I was divorced. It's, these are tools that people are so grateful that they have. And honestly, Olivia, that's why I actually started creating my e-learning programs, which you can – the first one is out there on my generational stuff. It's called Reducing Conflict at Work and at Home because I was giving a lot of this material to the corporate world, which was great, and people were getting a lot out of it individually. But so many were saying, wow, I wish my kids could see this, or I wish my sister could see this, or my, my husband or wife. And so what I, I did the e-learning programs more, more for the, the uh, individual con- consumer than actually for the businesses. Um, and it's getting, you know, people are loving it, and that's really the reason that I've uh, – I've kind of moved towards an e-learning platform to bring this information out to people so they can use it in their personal lives. That's really interesting, and it must be so gratifying. Wow. Psychic income. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) It's my psychic income. When I see somebody say that to me, my psychic income goes through the roof, and I'm ready to go do it again regardless of the pay. (laughs) That's great. Well, we are just about up on a break, and I, I think this is a good time to break because you did mention conflict, and I'd love to uh, have some time to actually talk about conflict and how it can be used in organizations. So, again, my guest today is Ken Beller. We're talking about collaborative leadership, and uh, you can learn more about Ken's work at nearbridge.com, and we'll be right back.
up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia here, and I'm back with my guest, Ken Beller, and we're talking about collaborative leadership. And just before the break, you mentioned conflict, and I really want to dig into this a little bit because I know you talk about conflict being important and in addition to the book you have on value populations, you have written a book called Great Peacemakers and I understand it's won 38 book awards and it's been endorsed by three presidents and three Nobel Peace Prize winners and for people, if you want to learn more about it, it's go to greatpeacemakers.com but I'd love you to share what you have in this book and how this relates to conflict in organizations and how we can either use it or or leverage it to bring peace. So please tell us about that. Okay. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, I use this work. I did this work with my wife, Heather Chase. We wrote the book together. She's my co-author and we're really quite proud of it. Um, it's used not only uh, in business, which we'll talk about in a minute, but it's actually used from middle school through graduate level university. Mm. Um, it's in George Washington. It's in Brandeis. Um, it's, it's a really, really nice book, and it outlines the life stories of 20 great peacemakers, um, and it does it in about five pages for each. So it's a quick, autobi- it's a quick biography of each of these peacemakers. Um, and with quotes about them, quotes from them, and it's a pretty inspiring book. And what happened is when we researched these 20 peacemakers, they're, they're not the, the top 20 greatest peacemakers because who could ever make that list? We'd all have a different list, you know? Right. Um, There's so many amazing people out there. But what happened is during the process of studying and, and learning about these peacemakers, we literally looked into and studied hundreds of peacemakers. Mm. And what happened is we really found that, that um, these peacemakers had no command control of almost anything. Yet they changed the world. I mean, Gandhi controlled a fifth of the world's population with a, with a, uh, you know, nothing but a, a tunic on. I guess. <laughs> yeah, right. He didn't. He didn't run any armies or have None anybody. Of that. You know that he ruled. You're right. All on peace. And what what I found is that <clears throat> collaborative leadership is really about influential leadership. It's about learning to influence people. Mm-hmm. It's about participating with people and collaborating, not about command and control. Mm-hmm. And we learn that even like from Martin Luther King Jr. and the move which he got from Gandhi and the concept of nonviolent activism, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not about being pacifist. It's about being nonviolent activists. And it's about being strong and standing up for what you believe. And what happens is in business is this book is you. 
used a lot. I'm currently in the process of finalizing a, a workshop called Leadership Principles of Great Peacemakers. Ooh. And it focuses on some of the amazing principles that these amazing people did, uh, men and women of all different races, religions, ages, to make the world a more peaceful place. And the concepts that they used are extraordinarily powerful, and business can use them every day. And that's what a lot of my collaborative leadership is based on, is you know, standing on the shoulders of these giants. Hmm. Well, so one of the concepts I think you, you mentioned in your material is being of service. I could just see a lot of these people like Gandhi and Martin Luther King. Can you talk a little bit more about how that might be seen in business? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's kind of like these days, if you look at advertisements, um, let's take an Apple commercial. You probably recently saw that Apple commercial where the family went on a vacation and the one kid was always just playing on his phone the whole time. Mm-hmm. And then in the very end, he showed an amazing uh, video of all the vacation that the family had and all the fun times. Did you ever see that? Yeah, that? it's great. And, and you didn't even know that it was Apple until the very end. See, they helped create a psychic income, a good feeling within you that helped you to become not just a customer but a raving fan. And that's what being of service does. It helps turn customers into raving fans because they no longer feel that you're just trying to get their money out of their pocket, that you're there to help them. And in return, you're going to go ahead and give them some money back. It's kind of like a tip. You know, uh, a waiter or a waitress knows that if they want good tips, they first give great service, and then they're going to get a great tip. And if you just focus on getting the good tip and don't focus on the service, you usually don't get a good tip. So it's like you're inspiring them. Absolutely. And so it's, it's, you know, think of the other side first. Think of who you can be of service to first. And in the end, for me, I'll be honest, it's never failed me. Whenever I just focus on being of service to somebody – I get back you know, seven times what I put into it. It always works that way. And all these peacemakers found the same thing. And so it's just a really powerful concept that you know, focus on being of service. And you know, again, you can't control everything. So engage but detach from the outcome and just you know, let, the, let the chips fall where they may. And know that you've done your best. And if it doesn't work out, at least you are there honestly and with high integrity doing the best you can to make the world and that other person's experience better. Yeah, I think that's a really important point because I think people can get into a lot of self-judgment and beating themselves up if they don't achieve the goal. So how do these peacemakers deal with that? Can you share? Well, you know, that's, again, I go back to this engaged detachment piece again. Um, Mm -hmm. It's so powerful is they know they're doing what's the right thing. You know, they believe in it. And they realize they can't control everything. It's just not within their power. So that they realize is I've done it with integrity and to the highest good that I can. Mm -hmm. And you move forward and realize you can't change the world, but you can change a small part of the world. And, you know, a lot of that is a struggle for people who are activists out there trying, like, to work for animal rights or human rights. You know, in your lifetime, you're going to have some wins, but you're probably never going to see it completely eradicated. Hopefully one day it'll happen, but it may not be in your lifetime. And it's a big issue for activists because if you focus on that end result, you never Mm -hmm. reach it and you get frustrated and you get burned out. And the same thing can happen in business. If all you're ever doing is looking for that end goal and you're not enjoying the process or the journey along the way, Mm -hmm. then the end goal really doesn't matter that much in the end. It's like, it's like saving up your money till you're 90 and you've got millions of dollars and then you die the next day. But you didn't enjoy, enjoy your life along the whole process. It, it just doesn't make sense. But a lot of us do that. And in business, we're always so driven by the bottom line. And what I say is flip that over a little bit. Be driven by the service and the bottom line will take care of itself. Well, that's an interesting point because I think a lot of businesses or, or at least people in business – think that in order to be to get the right bonus or whatever they have to be associated with a certain outcome and they get attached to that outcome but it sounds like if if a company is more collaborative and they can even change the way people are compensated so that it's more of a whole company approach then the individual could perhaps let go of what they're working towards as having to be successful but knowing that they're helping 
others succeed and, you know, doing their own small part. And like you say, with these peacemakers, some of them don't, didn't even live to see the true effects of of their work, you know, could could we create businesses that do that? Have you seen that work with any businesses you've worked with? I have seen it work. A matter of fact, um, I do a lot of work in diversity and inclusion. Are you familiar with diversity and inclusion? Yes. You know, from you know, obviously because of age based the collaborative. So I do a lot with with age based because of my generational work, but I do a lot across the board. And here's an interesting. Um, uh, statistic here that there's a group called Diversity Inc. out there that created a stock index of the top 50 most highly rated companies on 300 different diversity related measures. Mm. So they have three different metrics, 300 different metrics that they can measure a company by that are all based on diversity. They went in and measured, you know, all the Fortune mm. 500, etc., and came out with the top 300. Okay? And some of these companies include people like Kaiser, Permanente, AT&T, IBM, uh, Wells Fargo, Disney, those types of folks. Okay, mm-hmm. And here's an interesting statistic. Over the last five years, this diversity top 50 outperformed the Dow Jones Industrial Average by 50%. Whoa. It outperformed the S&P 500 index by 80%. That's fascinating. So what it's really saying is when you've got the diversity going in a company, the individual may not know what their contribution is, but the whole organization is going to do better. Absolutely. Inclusion wins. Inclusion, we don't do inclusion. Diversity is what we are. Inclusion is what we do with it. Mm -hmm. And what we find is that those businesses that are inclusive make a lot more money. So being inclusive and focusing on, on trying to make diversity dimensions more inclusive is great business. Matter of fact, the annual cost of businesses due to workplace discrimination against employees based just on race, gender, or sexual orientation is $64 billion a year. Wow. Big money. And that's what includes – that's what um, – collaborative leadership, inclusive leadership, influential leadership is about. It's about being inclusive and finding what are the gifts that these different diversity dimensions can bring to our organization. It's not about putting up with them or dealing with them or tolerating them. It's really about how do we actually profit and benefit from them. And it's very clearly documented that you can do that without a question. So have you ever gone into or, or have you been, ever been approached by a, a, an older organization, like some of these old insurance companies or manufacturing right. companies, and they come in and they say, we want to become more diverse, more inclusive. Have, has that ever happened? And, and what was that like working with them if it had? It happens a lot. And what's interesting is some of them do really well and some struggle. And again, here's where it is. They come to you and say, we want to be more inclusive. Or, or they say, we want to deal with diversity. So that's the first question. <laughs> we're going to deal with it. See, we have to move them from an exclusive mindset, and we're back at mindset again, Olivia, yeah. to an inclusive mindset. And what happens first is people start pushing against things. That's resistance. That's exclusive. Then what happens is they start putting up with it. It's less exclusive, okay? But I wouldn't call it inclusive yet. It's less exclusive. It's what I call, I t- call tolerance. But tolerance really is not a positive. You're doing it because you have to, not because you want to. <laughs> Finally, you have to move through that to a place of appreciation, and you value and welcome the difference. And when you do that, the inclusivity comes in. And what happens, they all want tool sets and skill sets. And what I say to them is, I don't care about those right now. Those are easy to come by. We have to focus on the mindset and learn why this is important. So what we first have to do is go in and help them understand that the mindset, that inclusive environments, inclusive businesses make a lot more money and do a lot better. Now, it goes against what they've been taught their whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it's, there's an ancient African proverb that goes like this. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm. And that's what businesses, if you want to go fast and focus on next quarterly's results, sure, don't worry about this. But if you want a long-term business that's sustainable and absolutely a strong 
and financially sound, then you want to go far and you want to go inclusive. There's no way out of that. So you mentioned quarterly reporting or quarterly expectations. That's yep. really one of the challenges. Do you, do you see that changing anywhere where people are being, it's okay to take a longer term view and the stock market isn't going to react to it? Is that they, changing? It is changing. There's something out there. Are you familiar with something called a B corporation? Yes. Yeah, B Corps use the power of business to solve social and environmental problems. Um, there are a lot of companies you probably already know, like Patagonia, Ben & Jerry's, uh, Seventh Generation. And they really make their why clear, and it's central to their operations. And you're starting to see a lot more of them. I think there's about over 1,000 certified B Corporations. It's not easy to become a B Corporation. You have to go through a, a, a really large testing process, et cetera. So it's not something you just do automatically. And um, I, I love this one. There's uh, one group I, I know of called Grayston's Bakery, and they make these wonderful brownies. I don't know if you've ever seen their brownies before. <laughs> but Grayston's why is this, Olivia? It says, we don't hire people to bake brownies. We bake brownies to hire people. Oh, that's beautiful. Isn't that wonderful? And I think we're seeing that happen. I think the big push you're seeing lately in the Wall Street Journal, everything about CEO pay and how it's so outrageous compared to what the, the, the lowest level worker makes, mm-hmm. it's, it's becoming a point where we're going to see a backlash on that. And I think you're going to see a lot more people saying, hey, business can do good too. It's not just about pure capitalism. And that capitalism is not just about making money. It's about increasing our quality of life. And that's where capitalism really works on the quality of life, not just on the money side of it. So all about the metric. That, that's great. And so becoming a B Corp almost becomes a status symbol, I guess. Is, Absolutely. how they're does. positioning. And right now, 78% of young workers, okay, of this whole millennial generation, as they'd call it, consider a company's corporate social responsibility commitments before deciding go to work there. Boy, that's... So if you want to hire these... These younger, younger individuals, you have to start showing that you have corporate responsibility or they're going to get a job somewhere else or start their own business. That's, that's great. Well, I think that's good for everyone, the planet, <laughs> the people, uh, business, oh, the whole thing. Absolutely. Well, it looks like we're about out of time. Ken, thank you so much for being my guest today. And I hope you'll come back and visit us again. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Olivia, and I would love to come back anytime. Thank you so much for having me. And again, if anyone would like to get more information on either of my resources, it's at nearbridge.com, like a close bridge, nearbridge, or at greatpeacemakers.com. Thank you. So next week, my guest will be Dr. Patricia Marquez. She's an associate professor of management at the University of San Diego School of Business Administration and faculty director of the Ashoka Changemaker Hub. And we'll be discussing organizational leadership and corporate social responsibility so a lot more of this great stuff and you won't want to miss it i'm your host olivia parrud saying thank you for tuning in to quantum business insights have a great week thank you for tuning in to quantum business insights Please join your host, Olivia Parr-Rood, again next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.